Hi, I'm Lisa Morton, founder of Roland Dransfield PR. Welcome to We Built This City. With this podcast, I wanted to shine a light on the people who have put the heart into modern Manchester. You can build a city with bricks and mortar, but it's the people that make Manchester great. Like my guest, Bryony Shanahan. Manchester has such an energy to it and a vibrancy to it that felt so distinctly Manchester. It wasn't a bit like London or a smaller version of. It had its own identity, its own soul. Bryony is Joint Artistic Director of the Royal Exchange and Manchester has adopted her with open arms. She took the helm a year ago and then the pandemic struck. The Royal Exchange has been closed nearly a year at the time this podcast goes out. And in the past few episodes, it's become more and more apparent the need for art, creativity and play to lift human spirit. So what does a theatre do when they can't open? How do they stay resilient? And most importantly, how do people like you and me take a moment to find ourselves when the stories are not being told on the stage? Well, we unknowingly rely on people like Bryony to lead us through. And you're about to hear from a woman who has brought the stage to our front door. Bryony, thank you for joining me on We Built This City. Hi Lisa, thank you so much for having me on. You're an adopted Manc. You came here in 2016 from London as a freelancer without a permanent job initially. And I've heard you say that you decided that if you ever got scared to leave London, then then it was time to go. So tell me about that and what pulled you up to the city that you now call home? So I was brought up in, in Staffordshire, um, born in Stoke-on-Trent, and I think that was really formative for me in terms of understanding where I wanted to make work and who I wanted to make work for. But moved to London when I was 18 to go to drama school and, and to train and always had this sense that, yeah, I, I kind of was like, I don't want to get to the point where I can only imagine living in London and I sort of forget I forget the rest of the country and the vibrancy of the rest of the country. And I got to a point where I'd always be like, nah, if I'm scared to leave, then I've been here too long. And then I really did get scared to leave. I was living in Walthamstow and our contract was coming to an end and we weren't sure if it was going to get renewed. And we'd already said, well, let's take it out of our own hands. If it doesn't get renewed, I'll move up to Manchester. And it didn't get renewed. (laughs) And so then I suddenly had to kind of go, oh my goodness, am I going to do it? And felt real terror about that. And I don't know why. I think it was just, especially in the culture and industry, I think there's this real perception that London is the epicentre of that. So I kind of recognised in myself that that, yeah, that was probably then time to do. So I think I found a flat and within about five weeks, I'd, I'd done it. And why Manchester in particular? I was a freelance director and I'd been working at the Royal Exchange. Um, I got kind of a trainee job there and was assisting and my cousins and lots of my family were living in Manchester too. So during that time, it was 2014, I had the most amazing time here. I kind of, I'd been to Manchester a bit growing up, but hadn't spent loads of time here. And having a period of time where I, where I was in the city, working in the city, um, it just was really transformative for me. I felt myself, I don't know, I always thought when I got on the train from Euston, I kind of felt my shoulders relaxing more and more that <laughs> the yeah. further the train was travelling up north. And And also Manchester has such an energy to it and a vibrancy to it that felt so distinctly Manchester. It wasn't a bit like London or a smaller version of. It had its own identity, its own soul. And I just found it really exciting. And I kind of loved the the cultural scene up here as well, Um, the range of work, the range of artists. And for me, it offered a bit more of a balance in my life as well, where I could, yes, I obviously love my job, love theatre, 
but I love so many other things too and being a bit nearer family being a bit nearer places that can get out and have an amazing walk or you know go to the canals and you know that that just really appealed to me and I kind of actually think it was a brilliant thing to do as an artist as well the amount of people that I talk to who actually have the same analogy about leaving Euston and the shoulders relaxing a common theme on we built the city actually and did you find that you felt immediately immersed in the Manchester culture and the community. Did you feel very welcome straight away? Yeah, I think I did. I mean, I was lucky that I suppose before I moved here permanently, I, like I say, I was, I got the chance to work at the theatre, at the Royal Exchange, and I was living with my cousin. So I sort of had a bit of a network. I think I'm quite lucky in that way. But what I did notice was that there was a real sense of community, especially in, in for me coming into into the theatre world, I quite quickly started to see the, yeah, the community that was here and, and felt very welcomed and felt very embraced by it. So I think that really helped to settle me. And, and like I say, it wasn't just theatre. I think it was the other things that I was doing as well, whether that was going to watch the football or going to watch all sorts of things. I realised that, yeah, my life, like I said earlier, my life became more balanced and wherever I went, I, I felt that that I was welcomed as a part of the city rather than you know, there's, there's banter, of course, but it, it didn't feel like, what are you doing here? And and prove your place. Yeah. You know. Talking about football, so you're born in Stoke and going back to your childhood, you grew up as a football obsessed kid with dreams of playing for Stoke City Ladies. <laughs> so I'm interested, and I think in a recent interview, you said that it was those matches that gave you a sense of the kind of theatre that you wanted to make. So I'm just interested in how a young girl who's mad on soccer then makes the move into the theatrical world, I suppose. Yeah, I know, right. It doesn't necessarily seem like the most obvious link, but my family, yeah, is is football mad, and I don't think I had a choice, really, about being a Stoke City fan. It was absolutely part of um, the culture of my family, and my dad took me to my first game when I was, I think I was six years old, versus Sheffield Wednesday, I reckon it was. And even at that age, I think I was so excited and seduced by the energy and and this live event and a place I think where we could be emotional be invested forget ourselves for a bit and engage with something that felt yeah just exciting and passionate and then it kind of evolved that we'd go to watch the matches quite a lot when my granddad died when I was about seven years old my grandma she didn't want to be on her own and she was a really sociable brilliant woman so she decided to become a landlady for Stoke City and that meant that she had the young footballers living with her from age 15 to 18 really and over the years I sort of got closer and closer to their age and that was really fun and we'd have kickabouts in in the street where she lived and stuff and so it it was a huge part of my life and then I played for Stoke City Ladies which was really amazing when I was about 16 to 18 and alongside that I think I was I was doing drama just at school I had more access to football and to that to that culture than I think I did to theatre naturally but I always say that I think the first bit of theatre I saw was that Stoke match um, all those years ago and and to me there are there are obvious differences but there's so much that is that is relatable to me now as a director I always say and it's easier said than done but I always say that if I can even create a little bit of that atmosphere that happens in a, in a football arena in the theatre then I, I I'm really excited to pursue and understand what that is so interesting and also obviously United's um, Old Trafford's call the theatre of dreams isn't it I've not thought about that before actually as to why and it is so similar I mean I when I was at school I was sport mad and I also was in every single show going 
And there's a real connection, isn't there, in terms of the discipline, the camaraderie, the teamwork, the fact that you're preparing for a deadline, so you've got to be completely focused. And then just the euphoria of either having a standing ovation or winning the netball match or whatever, you know, it's it's really similar parallel, isn't it? To me, that's what theatre offers that is different from, say, film or TV, is is the fact that it's live. And therefore, in, like in any sport, really, there are rules, there is a plan, there's a structure that you've all been preparing for, mm-hmm. but then anything can happen. And in theatre, it's a different kind of spontaneity, perhaps. But that's what makes it so thrilling to me, is that every night there is a different relationship, a different connection with the audience and a different outcome in some ways, mm-hmm. even though the plan is really clear. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So I suppose that even we wouldn't see it as the audience, but for you as the the company or the director, then you will see different nuances and different energies, maybe, even though it's the same performance, but on different nights. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, an audience really, it really informs the the tone of the show, the energy of the show. And it's fascinating watching a show with different audiences and and seeing how how the audience affects it. Mm. And I always think that, especially in the early bit when you're putting performances, you kind of go into a preview period, which is where we're still working on the show and still, yeah, still trying to finesse it and, and kind of shape it. But audiences are coming night on night. And as a director, for me, that is when I learn the most about the show and things that I've been convinced about in the rehearsal room, I'll instantly see do or don't work or, you know, things become so clear because there are bodies responding to that and you can feel that in the audience as well. If you think about now, you know, all the games that we're watching behind closed doors with no crowds, I mean, must have, a, well, it clearly is having a massive impact, isn't it, on the outcome of, of some of the results that we're seeing. So I must be able to relate to that too, if the audience is so important. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's interesting that some teams feel like actually they've been performing better, you yeah. know, with, which is really fascinating because I guess there's a pressure there and that says something. But I think what I've really loved about, I found it really hard to watch football in the early times, you know, without the fans there. And I actually, even though it's a bit strange, I've actually really enjoyed the sort of simulated sounds of the fans to give us some atmosphere. And all of that work has been done by theatre sound designers. So yeah. the theatricality that's been added, yeah, there's, there's so many links there. Yeah, and one of those jobs that you never thought was ever necessary to actually call the simulated football noises. I was also listening to a podcast with the assistant coach for the English cricket team and he was saying that playing behind closed doors that the introverted players, the, the quieter players were really enjoying it and getting better results. But the real showmen of the team, they, they didn't like it because they really needed the crowd to kind of get behind them and they performed much better to having their egos um, strokes, I suppose. So it's really interesting, <laughs> the dynamic of that, actually. Where do you think your love of theatre came from? I think it was through drama classes at school, just, you know, the, the ones that we were all part of, which is also why I'm so kind of scared that drama slips off curriculums for people, because for mm. me, that was so formative. Those drama classes became a place to play and express myself and and collaborate, learn about the world around me, think about the world around me. And that's where it started. And that for me was always the real, the real tug. And knowing that there was this art form that, kind of embraces or can embrace who you are and that deals in stories um yeah was always the thing that I loved with my school sometimes with my family we'd get to see theatre in Stoke a bit or Derby but I didn't see loads and I think therefore I, I wasn't aware of the range of careers of the range of different jobs and roles within the industry so at kind of a young age I was like well I love this I don't think I'm going to be a professional footballer, sadly. Um, and so I thought I wanted to be an actor because that's what I saw and that is what I connected with when I went to see shows. So I, I went to train as an actor 
at East 15 acting school in in London weirdly my grandma who I talked about earlier she came to my audition because I was quite I think I was 17 when I was auditioning so she came she fancied a day trip with me which was really funny and a little bit embarrassing as a 17 year old (laughs) but I love it now looking back but I was so green I I didn't know anyone in theatre working professionally like I say I'd seen very very specific kinds of shows so for me that first year living in London and getting to spend all my days in that creative atmosphere was incredible and every show I saw blew my mind stretched my idea of what theatre could be and I ended up spending four years there and kind of going on this huge journey where I went from an 18 year old going I want to be a classical actor whatever that meant to me to realising and being empowered to to make theatre to write to create to devise which then kind of led to me realising through an accidental, actually, opportunity to direct a piece with some of my peers, it all suddenly kicked in and made sense to me that that was my role within this industry was actually it wasn't about performing on stage, it was about directing and, and shaping and collaborating. And, and I'm really grateful for my actor training in that because I think it does affect how I work with teams and how I, you know, and how I see it, really. So, yeah, it was a it was a huge period of change for me. My grandma was very supportive of everything I did. And we had on Sundays after we'd had Sunday dinner, I used to, well, all my cousins, actually, we used to do shows and the grandparents had to sit squeezed on the sofa in Salford while we thundered up and down from behind the curtains like leotards, nickel-leg hanging out, Pig Gint was on. I mean, they must have been dreading the end of Sunday <laughs> dinner because literally we were a right bunch of show-offs in our family. It was so funny. But it does, um, you're yeah, right I about really saying it. that. <laughs> can you? I mean, like, literally, it's like, who are these kids? I do think that the same now, as you say, in terms of it being on the curriculum because it does help to, you know, find confidence, doesn't it? And discipline and even just learning lines. But that interaction with um, other kids is really important, isn't it, in a different space that they're not getting at the moment? Absolutely, and and it isn't just about, I don't think it is just important to cultivate careers in the industry, of course, that's really important, but like you say, it's, I think it, it's not just about those people that then want to do it. It's it's about the the skills that you learn, and mm-hmm. yeah, your, your ability to to be in a team, your ability to fail, which, mm-hmm. you know, so much of being in a rehearsal room or it's not tangible what, what works and what doesn't, and therefore you have to become really comfortable with just trying things it's an art form that can embrace that 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 risk and and that's really healthy to to not have to get everything right all the time so I always think like again like being part of a sports team it's the same kind of lessons those those spaces to to play to try to fail to to fail again better are are really important for all of us. So Bryony you were the Royal Exchange's Associate Artistic Director before being announced as Joint Artistic Director with Roy Alexander Weiss, taking over from Sarah Frankham in November 2019. And I was really interested because it hadn't been on my radar, but the Royal Exchange has got a history, hasn't it, of having multiple artistic directors or a cohort, and Sarah was one of the only sole directors. So that's interesting. Why is that a thing for the Royal Exchange? Yeah, but it's, it's been really interesting and us, and us thinking about that, especially at the moment. So yeah, it did start, it was a collection of artists that kind of occupied this amazing and spectacular and strange building in the centre of the city. And initially it was far more of a kind of a rough space and a bit more of a temporary. And of course, over the years and becoming really established and well-renowned, it became far more permanent. So Sarah, she was the only sole artistic director that there has been of the Royal Exchange. And... Me and Roy, I think, 
we're both, it feels really exciting to be in a joint artistic directorship. I think for loads of reasons, you know, it's a huge organisation, number one. So actually the ability to have two people that are, are working together to try and think about the reach of the work and the ethos and the values and the experience of audiences coming in and and interrogating all of that stuff is is great. It means that we can challenge each other as well and challenge our ideas and, and push each other creatively in a healthy way. And I, I love that it connects in some ways to the roots of the Royal Exchange being mm. quite a, a collaborative place. And that, that also feels very Manchester to me. And how do you work together? Do you find that you can build on each other's strengths? Do you have a different approach? How does that work together as a partnership? What's great is I think that our heart and our values are so aligned. And in, and in some ways, we um, we know what each other are, gonna, are thinking and going to say before we say it. And, and we've, we've built that over time. We've known each other a long time as well. But we're really different people and we're really different personalities. I think that's really healthy and definitely... The bits in Roy's personality that are not don't come naturally to me. It really helps because mm. it pushes me in a, in a way, and and that I find really healthy and challenging. And hopefully, it does the same the other way around as well. And and essentially, I think an artistic director really one of your most important responsibilities is to think about the breadth of the work and the range of invitations. And because the, there's two of us, that naturally is wider because of who we are and, and our mm. our own lived experiences you kind of ha- you do automatically have a bit of a wider range and then you push each other to think mm. wider than that still mm. so that I think that's what I really enjoy about it. To Mancunians the Royal Exchange is such an institution I set Roland Johnsfield up one month after the IRA bomb and obviously the Royal Exchange was horrendously affected by that you know the bomb detonates 50 metres away were you conscious of and are you conscious of how vital everything that that epitomizes the architecture of the building when you stand on the stage and I've been to millions mm. well, hundreds and hundreds of performances there I suppose from being a kid every time I got into that space I was kind of in awe I was overwhelmed by it do you feel that absolutely yeah I still can't believe that we are the sort of the caretakers of that mm. <laughs> of that space and that building in lots of ways I mean for me I remember the first time I saw a show at the Royal Exchange and just like having never experienced anything like that before, mm. this really old, grand, quite intimidating building, and then this spaceship in the centre that felt mm. democratic and that you can see the actors preparing. There was nothing like it. We are so conscious of of what it means to, in a city centre, have a space that is for, you know, it's a public space, it's a civic space that is for the people of Greater Manchester and beyond. We understand the importance of that and protecting that. I think what's also really fascinating is we noticed that the way in which the Royal Exchange, the building, not the theatre, but the way in which it is spoken about is always, you know, grade two listed, beautiful columns. And and, and that is all true. But there is also a really complicated history of the Royal Exchange, you know, dating back to its time as a trading hall and its input into the cotton trade. And with that inevitably becomes a contribution to the transatlantic slave trade. And so we are really aware that the history of the building, it comes with certain barriers potentially as well that we have to think Mm -hmm. about and talk about. And I think the biggest provocation for us is that actually it was, I think it was our first day we were presented um, this picture of the Royal Exchange way before, when it was a trading hall, before there was a theatre, obviously. And it was, I think at that point, the biggest room in Europe. And it's um, Mm -hmm. this incredible bit of art, which is, it shows hundreds of people, hundreds and hundreds of people in this space apparently there's three women in that space and they're all men white men in in top hats 
And it was so fascinating looking at that because obviously that is not the city that we live in. And so our provocation was going, gosh, like, wouldn't it be amazing to sort of, at the end of our tenure, to, to recreate that image with what the Royal Exchange looks like now that is reflective of our, of our city? And so our provocation, I suppose, is considering its history, its difficult history, its grand history, all of it. How can we radically reinvent the space to be a really complete opposite of that and, it's a, and, and for people to feel ownership of it? That's such a great kind of legacy as well for you, isn't it, um, in terms of shifting that on? And I think a lot of people, they're not aware of that complicated history, I think. Um, it's interesting, on the last podcast, we had Karen Gibay, who's an oral historian, and she's helping people to tell the real story of Manchester. And a lot of things like that are not part of the popular the popular story. We, we kind of forget that. So, And it also touches on, I suppose, mm. I know that you said... I think when you you took the role over that you wanted to make the Royal Exchange even more accessible it was a place for everybody it's a space for everybody to interact with and, and benefit from and I know we'll come on to this in a minute but um because obviously the last 12 months mm. has certainly been very very difficult but why is that so important to you we're a publicly funded theatre so it literally is it does belong to certainly not to us it belongs to Manchester and mm. You know, I've seen and me and Roy have seen how transformative being part of theatre or engaging with theatre or just the ability to to see stories and narratives, how important that is in in being able to understand the world around you a little bit better or to be seen as well and, and, and feel heard. It's so important. I think it is one of the real fundamentals of our of society is to be able to, to, to gather together and to think about these things. And so, you know, it, it's so important that that invitation, therefore, is for everyone. And I think theatre really, really struggles as well with a bit of a perception or a bit of a tag of it being an elitist thing where you have to, you know, you have to come to the theatre dressed in a certain way with a certain level of knowledge about the thing you're going to see. That perception, you know, it definitely came out of somewhere, but actually that has not been my experience at all. And when we do encounter people that, that come to the theatre for the first time, they often reflect on how surprised they are about how warm it is, how welcome they felt. I think it's part of our job to try and chip away at that, to try and really go, no, no, come here, this is for you. And and also, you know, for all of those reasons, the sort of the social reasons, but in terms of the art form, it makes the art better because the more diversity of voice, of story, of experience, that has a direct correlation to make more dynamic, more interesting pieces that surprise us and thrill us and, and you know, change us. So it kind of, it's a, it's a for me, it's a total 360 holistic thing of it, it is absolutely what we should be doing. It's what we have to be working towards, always. And also when you, you took over, I think you said that what you wanted to do, you wanted to create a space so it wasn't just for formal performance, but it was for open mics, it's gathering smaller events so it's a space for artistic expression as opposed to just a run of a particular play for example yeah absolutely um we really want to to make sure that, yeah the invitations are broad and we've got such an amazing opportunity right now as well to, to rethink and to be able to come to the Royal Exchange and yeah see a huge production with you know like great production values is, is brilliant but also the chance to see something completely different in a different mm -hmm. bit of the building or that has a more intimate experience that's just exciting for us mm. so you just passed your one-year anniversary of landing your role as joint artistic director and in normal circumstances i suppose we'd, we'd be reflecting on the past 12 months and programming development audiences that kind of thing but it's a year you could never have planned for how have you made it through the past 12 months and what have you learned 
do you know, it, it has been, I think, for everyone um, and definitely for me and for us, it's been incredibly difficult. Someone asked me the other day, you know, how we used to see crisis. And, and I guess for us, a crisis would be, oh, we're not sure if maybe one night someone, one actor is ill and we're not sure what if we have to cancel one night. And suddenly we're in a situation where, you know, it's it, we've been closed since March, which is just not even on the radar of mm. being able to predict that. And, you know, theatres, we can only exist, certainly in terms of financially as well, but we, we can only exist through our, our trading is about people coming to see the work and engaging with the work. So take that away. And, and it, it was incredibly frightening. We are now in a completely different moment, but undoubtedly it's had such a, a devastating effect on on our industry. We've had to go through really difficult decisions of kind of reducing our team. It was the only way that we could survive it. And I think it was incredibly difficult. But what we have to do is make sure that that theatre does exist because this virus had the real, very real threat that the theatre wouldn't be there. It's really interesting because you, and, and obviously we were in touch in those early days where my business was kind of, I, well, I was going outside the back door and blown into a brown paper bag. It was so frightening. Mm. And I remember we had a Zoom call and we were both like rabbits in the headlights on that call. I mean, we just kind of, it was just a bit of a, let's just, kind of try and support each other but as you say so much has changed and I'm interested in values and I'll come on to that in a minute but I can see that you you're right I mean it was your responsibility to make those very very tough decisions as it was about my business because ultimately you're the guardian of the Royal Exchange Mm. it's your responsibility to make sure that survives it's been here for hundreds of years and that's such a massive responsibility on your watch isn't it yeah it really is and and not one that I could have predicted or encountered Mm. and I think what's been so hard as well is that you know me and Roy are we're directors we want to tell stories we want to make work and this period we've had to think about the business in an entirely different way because we understand that this theatre has to be there beyond us it's Mm. not about us it's about making sure it's here in this city and that will be the legacy in lots of ways Mm. we've had to really reckon with our time or our tenure is going to look really different to what we thought it would do but the Mm. biggest thing that we can do is make sure that this theatre is here and that it's thriving and that it's in in a state where it can move forward and continue to be a brilliant place for its communities. Yeah, the pressure of that was unbelievable at times. And especially as someone in the first bit of a leadership role that I hadn't done mm, before. Yeah. I, I think we've learned so much. I think, you know, I know we've had an accelerated learning process, let's say that were a baptism of fire. And I am grateful for some of the lessons, not that I would have wished them to happen, but I don't think... I'll know consciously what this is always for a while, but I I think this experience will have changed how I see things, how I think about things in the future. And in some ways, I think that will be a good thing for us to... I don't think there's a complacency. It's been a really humbling experience. And like I say, it it really just refocuses you to what's important. I think Mm -hmm. that's the thing I'll take away more than anything at this moment is we all get so busy. The wheels are turning all the time when it's all threatened, when it all might go, I think you have to make choices about what is important and what you're fighting for. You mentioned before that you and Roy share the same heart and the same values, and that's obviously must have had a massive impact on what you've been able to do together and how you've kind of got through such a traumatic time for for everybody. 
I know that you said that you you reviewed your values and behaviours mm. as an organisation in this time that you might not have had chance to do otherwise. So tell me a bit about that. What's where has there been a shift? What have you what have you learnt about that? Yeah, I mean we're definitely in a place where we haven't completed all of that work for sure. Mm. We're we're sort of seeing this bit as I suppose a transition period, and what it's done is made us go. We need to be constantly learning, constantly evaluating, constantly listening, so that we can be responsive and flexible and I think that's a really huge shift for us as an organisation who are so used to working to such tight timelines and specific deadlines and you know those mechanisms were so well oiled really there's lots of things that we're kind of values wise that we always felt but now we really talk about really clearly and we hope to take the team on that journey with us and and some of them you know range from even things like kindness um, and, and that's been obviously very tough with what everyone's been going through, but just going, actually, that is an expectation of ours that within our working culture, we can say that that is who we are and that that doesn't mean that you can't have tough conversations or anything like that. But I think that's become really important for us. I think we feel like we want to challenge what leadership can look like mm-hmm. um, and we know we've got, to, we've got to live it and we've got to lead by example in that sense, which is quite hard over Zoom sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um and things like even, it sounds, this this should be a, a basic, but even, like I mentioned earlier, I think, the way in which during this pandemic, the kind of ongoing pandemic of racism and the outcries in the Black Lives Matter movement after the killing of George Floyd, we were there anyway in lots of ways in terms of what we believed and how we needed to move forward. But in terms of values, I think that really explicit that we are committing to anti-racism in a way that takes work and that takes constant evaluation and re-looking at and making that incredibly clear as a value of our organisation. I'm not saying we're, we've sorted it, we've done it, of course not. But sometimes I think actually being really direct about these things in order to go, this is it and this is what we're going to try and do and we need to move together in that. I think it's been good for us to re-look at it and, and to know that as artistic directors, sometimes you can, like you say, you can get wrapped up in just the art, but actually... Mm. It's about the culture of the organisation. And if we want audiences to feel welcomed, whoever they are, then it starts in-house. It starts with the culture of our staff team. When we did the International Women's Day panel at 20 Stories, it was a couple of days before the end of the run of Wuthering Heights. And we had no idea at that point. We were living in oblivion, weren't we, at that point? All really happy and stuff. We talked about values and I, and I shared with you the Roland Dransfield values, the Roland Dransfield way. And you said that you took a couple of those away with you and they were useful and you kind of worked with them. So which ones out of that kind of really stood out for you? I really remember, um, well, no dickheads. <laughs> that's yes, great. Very important. <laughs> um, and I guess that's the kindness thing that we were that we were talking about. Mm. But um, the admit it, fix it, move on that you sort of, you know, you spoke about. I think that's, that's brilliant. And actually that has become now um, something that we talk about in terms of our values about mm. just the ability to apologise, actually. And that's not about a culture in which everyone is so apologetic. And it's not that. I suppose it's about moving away from a blame culture and a culture in which you can't just learn. So, again, we're trying to trying to lead by example in that and just going, if you get something, we will get stuff wrong. We're human beings. And, and you know, we're working in theatre, working with so many unknowns anyway. Of course we'll get stuff wrong. But I think being able to just go, I'm sorry about that. This is what happened. And like you say, move on. So I found that really refreshing. And that's become something that we talk about quite a lot too. 
I'm really pleased about that. Tom Bloxham on the podcast said that if you're not making mistakes, you're not making decisions. So it's really important to actually create the space for people to be able to make the mistakes. Otherwise, we're just not moving forward and we become stagnant. Exactly. Um, What really struck me and which echoes all the ambitions that you've had in your career about making theatre completely accessible and inclusive for all is that even... And more so, I think, probably because of the past 12 months when we've not been able to bring people into the building and, and, and put on a performance is that you've really pushed the Royal Exchange right into the community. So you're taking the stage out into our communities within Greater mm. Manchester. So tell me about that and how that's been for you. Yeah, well, I mean, when people think of the Royal Exchange or think of theatres, the first thing that people often think about is the work on our stages and in our houses. Mm. But... um there is so much more work that is happening and work that has equal value and importance, if not more so, in lots mm. of ways. Before the pandemic, we do huge programmes of work in different wards and boroughs of Greater Manchester. And, you know, we have a young company, a children's company, elders. We have local exchange ambassadors. We work with partners and housing associations across across the region. And that work has always happened, or it's certainly since I've been involved in the theatre, and we've been really proud of it. But what happened, I suppose, at the beginning of lockdown is that we made the decision that, of course, we had to furlough a large number of our team. But we, we, we kind of went, we can't, we do not want to furlough those people that are, that are working in those community groups, whether it's our, our elders company or our young company or in our, our local exchange areas. So we made sure that, that that work continued because I think we were really aware and worried that the, the potential for people to become really isolated mm-hmm. and therefore the effects on people's mental health. We understood that we had a role to play and that we could really step up and provide a bit of that support and that sense of community at a time where we're all, we're all having to to shut ourselves away. So a whole range of things came from that, which were really brilliant. Like one of the early things that we did was with our young company and our elders company, we were going to do an intergenerational show in person and that suddenly switched to zoom and they made this you know this entire six part or five part kind of brilliant gig theater type uh, soap opera show which was which was wonderful and then there's been incredible things like our elders company um they have every single day since this happened they've sort of set up a coffee morning which is something that andy who runs our elders program uh, he helped them set up this sort of system, but they've they've run with it now. And I think including Christmas Day, every single day you can you can drop in to a space, you can chat, chat about anything, write a poem, read a play, whatever. That I think has been really important. But the shift that's made for us, like we we already knew how important this work was. It's been so fundamental for, for me and Roy and our vision for the company. But what it has done it's allowed that work to shout really loudly and kind of get some more of recognition that it deserves. And I think it's really useful as well in, in that it sort of shows how valuable it is. So I think sometimes theatre or organisations, and I'm not saying the Royal Exchange necessarily here, but can often see that work as a, an external or a side thing. But actually it's completely essential. So we have to value it and look after it in exactly the same way, with exactly the same care that we would all of our work and that's been brilliant, I think, for members of the team as well that more regularly work on our big productions in-house for them to really get a chance to get involved with that work too and, and see how 
the impact of it, also the, the amazing imaginationary work that comes from that has been brilliant and allows us to continue to place that at the heart of, of who we are. Mm. Mark Fletcher from Chief Executive Pride said that when they had to cancel Manchester Pride last year, in actual fact, because it, they put that online, I suppose, they found that they managed to even extend the audience because some people just maybe didn't feel that Manchester Pride was a place for them or they didn't feel ready in their lives to kind of be part of it. But in actual fact, they were able to reach more people because they could do that in a different way. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's mm. I definitely hear that. And I think what this time has done is made us think about, yeah, the work has become, whether it's been um, putting on digital theatre or releasing archive footage and all that sort of stuff. It, yeah, you're right. You don't have to come to the theatre and of course we want you to, but there's some people who can't, who don't want yeah. to. Or, and, and I think we've got to think of that going forward. So we're not now closing the doors to those people that have had a chance to engage in a different way. And potentially find a new audience when you are able to open your doors again. Yeah. So talking about opening doors again, what are your views now? What's going to happen 2021? <laughs> What's right, the well, plan? I'll just get my crystal ball. But um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> since coming back from Christmas, we had one plan, which I think was a plan six probably anyway. And our plans have changed, of course, a few times since then with the, the latest lockdown. But um I can't talk specifically because I'm aware, you know, everything can change, but we are definitely, we are looking at reopening and have plans to reopen this year. Hopefully we would love to be able to do some stuff in late spring, early summer to ease back up, to get people feeling comfortable again, because, you know, we don't know necessarily how people are going to feel coming back mm. into these spaces that have been places that are potentially dangerous or were, mm. were deemed so. It's not going to be a case of a, a, a big bang and then straight back to where we were. So we'll we'll kind of ease in. I'm I'm really excited about our our plans that I can't talk specifically about, you know, about the stories. Like I say, in the same way that it's made us go as a theatre, what is important. I think in terms of the stories that we're telling, we know we can't do a show over the next few months with lots and lots of people on stage. It is not possible mm. in terms of social distancing, for one thing. But that doesn't mean it reduces the ambition of the story, of the narratives, of what we're learning about the world. So yeah, I feel really excited about, I feel as confident as I possibly can mm -hmm. after we've all been through this, that we mm -hmm. will be able to welcome people back in the not too distant future and have a range of work and a range of offers that really signal who we are and, and what we intend to do, but also allow people to forget for a bit or to, mm -hmm. or to, to reflect for a bit, you know, that's the way that we're seeing it and, and, and growing as we go. Well, let's just hope because, as you said before, I think the need for people to immerse themselves in culture after this is just going to be massive, isn't it? There was a, a programme this week at the musicals. I don't know if you saw. The first thing I've seen in it is basically Sheridan Smith was doing, you know, this song and sat there and just cried, you know, cried the, the emotion of remembering all those musicals that you've been to and, and made yeah. you realise how important it is to be in the moment in live performance. It's just absolutely incredible. So... Well, we look forward to that very much. I'm going to do a quick fire Manchester round for you. <laughs> so let's see okay. how much of a monk you are. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> so we've talked about your love of football um, yeah. and obviously you're a Stoke fan, but have you adopted a, a team from the region, from Greater <gasps> Manchester whilst you've been here? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be in so much trouble with my family, but yeah. Um, 
I mean, you'll never, I think, the, my, my deep love for, for Stoke City will never be um, chipped away at. But I have to admit, <laughs> I did start, we, I was starting to go to with my partner. We went to um, Manchester United Women, which has been amazing. Yeah. And yeah. that has, I suppose, has grown as well to the men's team. So um, oh. <laughs> I am in very invested in the title race this year. <laughs> so if you paint me red or blue, I'm definitely going to be red. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> um, who would you say are Greater Manchester's most groundbreaking actors? Oof, such a oh, tough I one. Mean, a tough one and yeah. um, an embarrassment of riches, really, from, you know, of course, the Maxine Peaks, but also mm. I, I, I think I'd shout out some of the people that I've been working with recently. Um, quite a few of these were in Wuthering Heights, so Gurjeet Singh, Rhiannon Clements, Kate O'Donnell's an amazing performer. Yeah, Katie West, Carla Henry. Oh, I could go on. But those are my, yeah, I think those are the people that I jumped to mind. So such talent here is such a yeah. hotbed, isn't there, of, uh, of, of talent. It's difficult to choose. Yeah. Okay, this is easier. What would you order at the chippy? Oof. <laughs> I would order uh, fish chips, mushy peas, and depending on my, my mood, gravy. <laughs> <laughs> I know, definitely gravy with fish. Yeah. I think we're allowed. John Thompson said it's unacceptable. You can't, you can't mi- mix meat and fish products, but I don't agree. <laughs> Um, how would you sum up Manchester to somebody who's not been? Mm. I would say it's um, amazing sunsets, amazing sunrises, uh, rivers, canals, wet cobbles, smoke, glass, concrete, and lots of loud voices dancing amongst all of that. Oh my God, I absolutely love that. I'm going to actually have that put on the wall. You just summed it up. <laughs> the best place for a sunrise is... I park my car when it, or, or get the tram to the top of Deansgate, so mm. Deansgate Station, and on the platform there where oh, the Beetham yeah. Tower is. I, I went through a week, well, actually a few weeks, I just photographed it every morning, and it's never the same. It's always yeah, different. It's and amazing. It's a complete, oh gosh, absolutely incredible yeah. there. And then lastly, what's the best event you've ever been to in Manchester? Mm. Really, really hard. I've had so many amazing nights from an impromptu Northern Soul Night at Gorilla which I got absolutely um, shamed by some some old boys. But um, I think something that I I was thinking about lately, I suppose, in the context of everything that's been happening is not too long after the arena bomb, I went to see Arcade Fire at the Castlefield Bowl. And it was, I mean, they're incredible. It was an incredible gig, but there was something about the atmosphere that night um, because of what had happened. And Manchester and this band really going no we we will continue to enjoy music and to celebrate together and have fun we're not going to let ourselves reject that through fear and that we believe in in love and kindness as a, as a greater force and the energy of that night was amazing it was just that thing of and I think it infected the band as well in that way that it always does and it was so full of of hope of love very emotional as well mm-hmm and respectful thinking about what had happened but I, I yeah I remember that and I go it is not the same situation of course but I do think there's there's going to be some incredible moments and so much to look forward to when we are all back in our city or at the heart totally. of our city and together totally yeah I agree and that's such a great spot I miss we buy <sighs> tickets to every single gig I was at that yeah. gig actually and I, we, we get tickets for every night for the whole week and I just that's the one thing that I really do miss so lastly it's been an unspeakably challenging time for our amazing community of actors and musicians and obviously the whole army of people that behind the scenes that help to deliver that magic to the audiences I suppose what words of comfort would you have 
for very talented people who have not been able to perform this year. And I suppose young people who mm. are studying their art now with a, a mm. hope that they will be involved in, in live performance. Yeah, it's uh, it's something I think about all the time. You know, I was a freelancer for the majority of, of my career and so many of my, my friends and the people that I love the most are in these really difficult situations right now. And and I don't want to be trite because I absolutely don't have all the answers or all the ability to to make any of this all, all right. But at the same point, I would say, you know, freelancers make up 70% of our industry. We absolutely need them. And I am so worried about people leaving the industry and not finding a way back but I suppose it's that that old saying of this too shall pass this is this moment is not the moment that we will be in forever and I I think like I said earlier I absolutely believe in in the need for this art form for this industry um and I feel like that the resilience the creativity the innovation that people have shown even just to survive this you know I think people should take great confidence and comfort through through what they have achieved even in this moment of everything that they knew being taken away and still being here that I think that resilience will serve them well we need them and I also go again not that I think this is a good thing that's happened but in in moments where as societies we have faced really huge challenges and and big moments of change the artistic response and I'm not saying we're going to see loads of shows about the virus now but I do think we might be headed into an incredibly interesting period of creativity. There might be a directness to that voice and an urgency to creative voices that that changes things and that shifts the landscape. Mm. Yeah, I'm just sending out so much love to our, our freelance family and you know we're fighting as hard as we can to keep to keep some of the structures here that will enable us to be able to to work together in the future. Mm. Thank you for that because I think that's a really positive perspective. Thank you so much for joining me on We Built This City, Bryony. It's been great to have a conversation with you almost a year on from the last time we, we, we properly spoke. And it does strike me that despite the massive challenges that you've had over the past 12 months, that you've made our Royal Exchange even more relevant and accessible to the community of Greater Manchester than perhaps it even was before, even though that wasn't part of your plan. And I think even though that nobody's been able to set foot on the stage, you've taken that stage out into a wider audience and it's a great place to build from from this year. And we really feel that we're, you know, your careful guardianship of the Royal Exchange, as you said, that's a massive legacy to leave the city, even though when you started out, you didn't know that that's what it was going to be. So thank you very much. And I hope 2021 is amazing for you and your company and all your colleagues so thank you oh thank you so much i'm gonna put that on my wall now (laughs) (laughs) bryony shanahan helped us to build the city by taking the theater of football into the theater by putting the stage at the center of our community in the middle of a pandemic and by creating work that excites us and thrills us and changes us We Built This City is out every Thursday when you'll hear from another incredible Greater Mancunian. If you want to find more out about Roland Johnson PR and you'd like some help in creating your legacy, please head to rdpr.co.uk for more information or give us a call on the same number we've had for 24 years, 0161 236 1122. Thank you and see you next time.